Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. This week, I'm joined by Leonore from Montessori Group. Let me go ahead and quickly introduce her. So Leonore spent the entire part of her professional life in the private sector. However, she has been involved with charities since the age of 18 when she co-founded the Amnesty International Working Group for Children. During the Balkans War, she worked with children and women who were victims of the war. Upon coming back to London, Leonore started working with UK charity Fields in Trust. Her next role was for human rights charity Index on Censorship before becoming the first executive director of the Galapagos Conservation Trust. Her next CEO role was at Medical Institute Raft. During her time there, Leonore created a life sciences company and was its CEO for five years, whilst concurrently serving as CEO of Raft. In June 2018, Leonore took her fourth CEO role at Montessori Group, and she has personally won several awards for her leadership. Leonore, this is such a fantastic accomplishment. I hope you don't mind that I gushed on you there for a moment. Thank you for taking it so gracefully. (laughs) I was even impressed listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got to hear a little bit about the highlights. And what I would love to do is just to hear maybe a little bit more detail about what led you to Montessori Group where you are today. Well, everything I've been involved with, I mean, if you go sort of go back to when I was 18 and and helped set up the Amnesty Working Group for Children, has very much had a child focus to it. So in a way, it was inevitable. I was going to end up doing something like Montessori. And everything I've done has had a sort of very strong component of supporting children. So there's that bit. The second bit is, for me, I'm, I'm passionate about the opportunity that education gives to children. I am living proof of that. You know, I'm the first woman in my family to have a career. And that's because I am the first woman in my family to have had the opportunity to have been supported and encouraged to have a good education. And finally, I think that what Montessori does, it creates such a big impact in terms of allowing children to truly become the adults that they could become, to fulfill their potential. That has to be something that we must support, we must do for our children. That's wonderful. So tell me a little bit more about when you started this journey, because I mean, it sounds like maybe it was your personal experience that led you to become so passionate about helping children? I think that, well, yes, it definitely my, my personal experience because of my family background. My family were originally refugees from Spain to the UK. And I also grew up, and, and I was the only one that could actually go back to Spain during that time. And I, and I went as a child. And I saw my cousins didn't have the opportunities, that particularly my female cousins didn't have the opportunities that I had. And I just grew up with a sense of, I feel so privileged to have had that opportunity that I've always felt it's important that I give back and give others the opportunities that, you know, was lucky because of the choices that my parents made that allowed me to do that. Out of curiosity, I'm wondering now, based upon you being at Montessori school, did you happen to have a Montessori education when you were a child? 
Well, do you know, I think I probably did without realising because I went to a state school in the UK, but I think my teacher was Montessori trained because a lot of the things that I now know of as Montessori, we did in the classroom. It was very familiar. You know, the fact that I still remember that teacher sort of years later shows what a big impact she had on me. Wow. And now that I'm thinking about your work with Montessori, I'm also curious, did you have an interest in working with Montessori group or did they come looking for you? Well, it was very strange actually, because I'd been at my previous role for 11 years. I'd said I'd stay for 10 and then we had a change of chair. So I said I'd stay for another year to embed the new chair. in. And I was sort of looking for another job. And I was, there were actually two jobs on offer. There was Montessori and then there was another job. And the other job was closer to home and it was actually more money. And, and you know, you think logically that's the one I'd go for. And it was really strange because they rang me up and they said, well, you know, what Montessori want to offer you the job. And immediately I said, yes, I'll take it. And, you know, like all the books say, you don't do that. You say, oh, yes, thank you. Let me think about it and then call you back, you know. And, and I'd never done that before. And, and, I, and I put the phone down and I said to my husband, I don't know why, but I just knew I had to do that job. I knew that was it. And I just said yes straight away. So, mm. That is so fascinating when you have that feeling. I mean, it's, it's hard to let that go. I, and I wonder too, is there, so throughout that process, because now, you know, understanding that this passion that you have around helping children, when you were evaluating this opportunity, is that when you first went into one of the classrooms? I went to visit a nursery and I thought, wow, these children are, there's just a completely different vibe to it. They're so engrossed in what they're doing. They were very happy. They were quiet, not silent, but quiet and calm and really engrossed in what they were doing. And I thought, wow, that's a really, you know, sort of interesting vibe here. And I remember it was uh, a child came in and they were trying to take their coat off and hang it on a peg. And kind of my normal instinct was to step in and the teacher said to me, no, no, they've got to do it by themselves. And this child could not reach the peg. And and I was watching this child and the child went off, this little toddler, you know, three, four years old, you know, obviously had processed this, went off, got like a little stool, came, put the stool in front, stepped on the stool and put the coat on, went, you know, cut off the stool, carried the stool back. And I thought, wow, that's when it struck me, the power of Montessori. Here is a child who at that age has discovered how to problem solve. You know, that's the skill we would call it as an adult. That child was problem solving, had a problem, had to think about how to solve it, solved the problem and was creative in how they did it. You know, and I thought because no one told that little boy how to do it, he went off and, and discovered it for himself. And I thought, this is really powerful stuff. So powerful. And the the interesting thing about skills too, is that they're sort of like habits, right? Because you can't just learn something one time. You have to be presented with an experience that allows you to sort of like, and in the last podcast that I did, we were talking about skills as sort of muscles. So to sort of like be able to use that particular muscle, if we don't allow in this case, right, a child to be able to figure it out on their own, then, you know, what would be the point in their life when they actually start to utilize or discover that they have this skill, this power. Exactly. And and this is what I think is so fascinating and so powerful about Montessori. We're teaching children at such an early age. And as you say, this becomes ingrained. It becomes muscle memory. 
it then becomes it's a bit like as an adult when you learn how to drive a car and you get into a car once you've learned and you've driven several times you get to the stage where you're not really thinking about it you're just doing it because you remember how to do it you have that skill now and the fact that we're teaching these young children to have those essential life skills I mean I really I refuse to call them the kind of soft skills because they're not soft skills at that age we're already giving them an opportunity and, and a foundation on which to grow and blossom. And and I think that's amazing. Well, and it sounds like, you know, you've seen children at all various ages experiencing trauma or challenges or crisis in their life. And it sounds like to me, and just what you're describing, you know, if you have started to experience in a light way, something like trying to figure out how to hang a coat, right. But if you learned that things in life aren't always going to be just said and done easy, then it's not so daunting and overwhelming when something comes along because you know, it's just pause and let it settle in your mind and then move forward. Now you've been with Montessori. Is it three years? Coming up to three years. Yeah. Wow. Mm Did you have something in mind about some change that you wanted to make with Montessori? Yeah, for me, it was, I mean, there were a couple of things that I felt I could add value or I felt that I could do something different. And so the first is I felt that we have to slightly demystify Montessori for most people because people have some strange and weird and wonderful ideas about what Montessori is you know well I've heard it too like how is that classroom going to stay orderly if the kids can just do whatever they want so there's an element of sort of demystifying it and I think that what a lot of people don't realize is this is a pedagogy that's actually grounded in science you know Maria Montessori was a doctor she was the first woman to become a doctor in Italy she created this pedagogy out of observing children and learning and so she sort of took those scientific principles to create this this is grounded in reality this is not some weird and wonderful thing that was dreamed up at some point this was built up and it evolved so for me I thought there's something we have to do about kind of grounding Montessori in that reality of life so last year in October we launched a that's Montessori campaign online where we talk to both parents and children at Montessori schools and just talk about what are the sorts of things you do. And what was really fascinating, and we did some sort of surveys afterwards in the UK, was that a lot of parents who knew nothing about Montessori or had some strange ideas about Montessori, we'd say to them, well, OK, so do you allow your children to put their own shoes on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know, that's what we do in Montessori. And you start to sort of bring it down to things that parents were probably already doing. And in one of our surveys, I think we worked out that something like 87% of parents actually said, well, we've been doing Montessori in the home, but we didn't realise it because it just seemed logical and sensible or they read about something, you know, they didn't quite know it was Montessori, but thought, oh, yeah, that's a sensible thing to do with my child. I can see how that's going to help my child. And we're doing it. And so I think that was a big part of saying, let's kind of demystify it. Let's bring it back to say, you know, this is grounded in something very sensible. The second thing I think is that you go back to where Maria Montessori started. And Maria Montessori's first school was in the slums of Rome. And when you talk about slums, you think about 19th century, sort of early 20th century, there was no welfare state, there was huge poverty. One of the first Montessori nurseries in the UK was actually set up by the suffragettes in the East End of London, which is a very poor part of London, again, for vulnerable children. So I felt that we need to also kind of go back to that a little bit and say, what can we do for vulnerable children? How can we focus our social impact work 
to support those families. And we know that the Montessori approach, the Montessori method of education is really good at reducing the achievement gap between rich and poor children. There's actually been longitudinal studies in the US that have shown this, where you have children from deprived socioeconomic backgrounds who have gone through Montessori and by the time they get to high school are performing as well as children from wealthy backgrounds. And that's really important for society. That's a marker of how important education is. And after all, don't we want adults to be productive and have good, healthy lives? I mean, doesn't that just enrich society when we do that? So those were the two things where I thought I really want to focus on those two areas and also just kind of get the message out there, you know, just keep talking about Montessori, about it is the pedagogy of the future. I know it was sort of developed 100 years ago, but yet here we are. And if you think about it, the parallels in history are really interesting. Maria Montessori was developing this at the time of the Industrial Revolution, a time of great socioeconomic upheaval, turmoil change, political change. And she created something that was going to be impactful and support children. Here we are at a time of huge change, not just with the pandemic, but also, you know, because what the pandemic has done is basically accelerated what was already in, in existence. You know, with the fourth digital revolution coming along, the world of work is changing. And everywhere I go around the world, people say to me, We need an education system that teaches these skills of collaboration. I'm going, you've got one. We have that. (laughs) You know, we're here. And and here we are with a method of education that speaks today to what is relevant to our lives today. And that's another sort of myth that exists around Montessori. You know, I've had people say, oh, yes, but it's an old fashioned. No, it's not. This is actually what we need now. There is a piece of work which I know has been done. It hasn't yet been published where they looked at adults at different ages from 60s 50s 40s 30s and looked at what were their lives like in terms of their mental well-being in terms of their physical well-being and then looked at what early years education did they have and they compared adults who'd been through sort of mainstream or traditional early years education those that have been through Waldorf Steiner and those that have been through Montessori And those that have been through Waldorf Steiner and Montessori had much better mental health and physical health. I mean, by a massive margin. And those that have been to Montessori actually were the ones that had the best. So this is work that I know will be published soon. And so that shows that it has an impact, not just on economic outcomes, but actually physical and mental well-being. And as I said, they looked at adults in their 60s. Yeah. I'm waiting for someone to also do some research around how this changes someone to be ready for work. Because like you said, people have the wrong opinion of this type of education. And the thing is that like you described, and I think like we've learned in this COVID time period that these skills, problem solving, uh, creativity, the list can go on, but the life skills are the ones that are hardest to find for employers. Absolutely. They're in demand. I mean, Accenture did a big piece of work around this and said, and exactly, they said, these are the skills that are needed and pretty much said, you know, the education systems that we have around the world today don't deliver that. So this isn't just me saying it as Montessori. This is actually people out there taking a very hard business look at this and going, we are missing these skills. We have to have these skills in the future if we're going to be successful as as organizations, as companies, as countries, as economies. So this is something that, you know, is being said over and over and over again. 
And I think that you're right, you know, those skills do translate into success. A lot of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs are ex-Montessorians and credit Montessori for their success. You know, we are losing the traditional work base of you have a company, you go and work for a company and you're there for 20 years or 30 years and then you retire. That's gone. That's gone. That went even before the pandemic. You need people who can be entrepreneurial and innovative, even within a big organization. You need people who can say, okay, how can we do things differently? You need people who have the confidence and the ability to do that sort of problem solving, to say, okay, I know we've always done it this way, but what if we did it that way? What would happen? You know, we need employers, we need bosses who who are familiar with that ability to say, look, here's a framework. And I'm giving you a freedom within that framework. But, you know, that was one of the things that struck me when I went into Montessori and I learned more about Montessori. I sat there and I thought, wow, this is just modern leadership. I mean, I have an MBA and I thought, wow, I am reading Maria Montessori, a woman, 100 years ago, talking about things that all these amazing management gurus wrote lots of textbooks. about. You know, she was there. She was there, you know, apply that instead of children to how you manage an organization, how you manage people. These are leadership skills. You know, education and upskilling and talent mobility and all of these words that we like to use, their focus was really more based on technical business skills. But all of a sudden, we're starting to see all of these organizations focus on mental wellness. And to me, that mental wellness is truly those foundational life skills, which like we're saying right now are these leadership skills. And also the ability to communicate. We've all been working remotely for a year now. That requires a different type of communication skill. That requires as you know, leaders not to assume that everybody knows everything. And, and how do you, you know, communicate without over-communicating, without inundating people with information, with data, right or wrong. I've always taken the stance that I employ adults and I treat people like adults. And if there's a problem, I'm going to be honest about it because you're an adult. You know, you should be able to understand that I'm telling you this because I respect you enough to tell you that there's a problem or that things are going to be tough. I'm sort of really astounded sometimes that where I've seen leadership across the world, whether political leadership or organizational leadership, sort of talk about, oh, well, when things get back to normal, that ain't going to happen. What we have all experienced globally is going to create such a shift. You know, we're really going to have to ask some difficult questions, and we're going to have to face some difficult times. I mean, if you don't actually talk about it if you don't tackle what that has felt like for people then you create problems for yourselves way down the line we know this from history conflicts rise because something wasn't really tackled and that's where leadership comes in and that's that skill that we as leaders are all having to learn because this is all new to all of us it's so true i mean everything you've already described i was like man you've already had all of these amazing leadership skills at your fingertips. And it sounds like you still found a place where you needed to learn more through experiencing this. It was there something in particular that helped you pick up these important skills through this process, or was it just, just going through it. And I tell you the one thing that I have done a lot more of is I think this has been the pandemic has done. This is people are are more open to talking about their experiences. And I think that's been really powerful, you know, so I've spoken to a lot of 
peers and, and said, right, okay, so what are you going through? And what I found the really very positive and very interesting change is people opening up about how vulnerable they felt. I, I've never seen that before. I've never seen, you know, kind of tough alpha males say, I'm actually struggling. I'm finding this really hard. So all of these skills that we're learning over this time frame that are sort of outside of the normal way that our education system, Montessori or not, and our work system like to talk about skills, right? Like we like to talk about, I have this degree, I have this particular work experience, and that's what these things mean. But you and I, we've just had a whole conversation about all these fantastic skills that have been gained in a totally different way. How do people now recognize that? Like for you, even as an employer, has this made you stop and think about how you look at potential employees or your current employees? I'll be honest. I have always employed people on who they are as people rather than their skills. And I learned that a long time ago because you can get some people who on paper look amazing and are just awful employees because they're missing those key human skills. And I've employed people who haven't got a qualification, barely finished school, and have been brilliant. Brilliant. How do you evaluate that? Well, I mean, to some extent, it's been trial and error, I'll be honest. I'm not going to lie about it. But I think it's quite liberating when you think about employing people if you don't look at their CVs. Because I think to my, and, and you know, I don't know, you know, in other parts of the world, but certainly in the UK, there's this thing about, oh, you know, people have to have a degree. I don't think so, necessarily. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm hoping that we can kind of get past that. You know, we talked about the fact that I've got an MBA. I, I don't even remember if I put it down on my bio. And I don't think I even put it in my CV. I don't think you did now that I think about it. And no one's ever asked me. You get to a certain stage where it's about what you've achieved. Yep. No one's ever asked me. I've never been to a job where, I mean, yes, of course, there are jobs where you need to have those technical qualifications, but I've never been to a job where someone said, okay, can you, you know, forward me your certificate, your, I want to see your degree. (laughs) And I think that if we can move away from that, that would be a good thing, because I think there are some fantastic people out there who can make such an impactful difference to people's lives and we need to value that and I think hopefully that's what this also COVID has done it's helped us I mean it's certainly in the UK there's been a sort of newfound appreciation for people that actually do what you would have called kind of low-level jobs but actually what we're realizing is if we didn't have the delivery people, if we didn't have the person that works in the shop, if we didn't have the nurse, if we didn't have you know, those people who may not be paid the highest salaries, you know, the plumbers, the electricians that keep things going, if we didn't have those people, where would we have been? And so I think it's important that we don't get hung up on those qualifications. And and I think that's actually very Montessori. I mean, of course, because we're part of all the traditional mainstream education systems, we follow all the curriculum, but, you know, we're not big fans of testing people and test results and stuff like that, because... I didn't actually do my degree until I was in my late 20s. In the UK, we did these A-levels and you're supposed to get certain grades. You know, I didn't get those grades. We had a difficult year in the the family and, you know, it hasn't stopped me. And I think that we can get very, very hung up on that, I think. And, And it doesn't, you know, it really is about the person. And what does that person bring? And I think that's a really important discussion to be had around motherhood. 
because you don't get a qualification to be a mother. No, you think about it. Anyone who's not a mother, just so you know, they send you home with the baby. No one trains you or tells you what to do, (laughs) by the way. And this is not like, oh, work where, you know, something happens, not a big deal. This is like a life. (laughs) And again, it isn't about getting a degree in it or or something, but it's an important skill set. It's so important. I think what you've just shared in terms of the way that you've been talking about people and the way you've hired people and the way Montessori, I, I just think that is such an amazing lesson. You know, the one question that I have before we wrap things up was that when you meet someone for the first time that you are thinking of bringing onto your team, what's the first question you ask them? Well, that's good. I think the first question I ask them is tell me about yourself. And if they start launching into, well, I have this degree and that degree and this, 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 I think, hmm. If they start talking about themselves as a person, then you think, okay, I'm dealing with someone who's going to be able to interact with other people in my organization as a person. And at the end of the day, it's all about people. Teams are all about building relationships, you know, respecting the differences because not everybody's the same, but building relationships, being able to work with people you don't like. That's a really important skill. You know, have to interact with people. You have to at least have to be able to respect them or show them respect. You have to be able to interact with your customers or with, you know, your stakeholders. You have to be able to do that. And that's all about relationships. It's all about being a rounded human being effectively. I hope that there's a lot of hiring managers that are hearing this right now for <laughs> a lot of recruiters, because it's been a little while since I've been at an interview myself, but it's just really funny when you think back about the questions. I actually also interviewed someone the other day. So I'll second what you said. That's the same first question that I asked. And when they started to go into their qualifications, I said, no, no, no. I mean, just like you, what are you passionate about? What do you like? Like, tell me about you as a person. <laughs> And they were so thrown off. They didn't know how to answer that. It was, it was sweet. But then once they realized like, oh, okay, I have to shift out of what I've always been asked and always supposed to answer into this other mind frame. And just to see them shift in the look in their eyes, you know, (laughs) if you think about it, if you hire someone, you're hopefully hiring them for the long term. It's like entering into a long-term relationship, right? It's almost like a marriage. It's a little bit of a marriage, right? You spend more time with them than maybe your spouse. Exactly. Exactly. And what you're looking for is someone that you can kind of get on with and hope that they'll share the same passion and drive that you have. And hopefully some of the same values, you know, if, if you went to a date and somebody whipped out their certificates, you'd be going, okay, thank you very much. I'm Oh, look, I've got a phone call to go to or something. You want to know about people. That kind of human element is really the thing about where we all have to be in the future. This goes back to the digital revolution. We're going to have machines to do a lot of the mechanical stuff. It's the human stuff. Someone said to me that really resonated with me. And it was a conference about AI. And they said, in the future, with artificial intelligence, the work that lawyers do of absorbing all these case studies and stuff, you know, a machine will be able to do it in seconds. Audits. Machines will be able to do that. Now, would you trust a machine to cut your hair? (laughs) I thought, wow. It was a point well made. That human interaction, you know, I probably wouldn't trust a machine to cut my hair. Would you trust a machine to look after your child? Probably not. 
so it's kind of those human skills that are going to be the ones that, you know, coming back to this conversation about the future of work, that, that are there, you know. And, and I thought it was a really quite a profound thing to say in a sort of funny way, but quite a profound thing to say that, yeah. It's actually a great way to put it because it just makes people stop and think there for a moment. <laughs> well, I said, I didn't say it, but it was when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So true. <laughs> well, I'd like to ask you, One last question, because I love the idea of inspiring our listeners to take action. What's the one thing that you would suggest people could do in their daily lives to grow right now? Ask questions. Learning is all about curiosity in a way, isn't it? We talk about continuous personal development and lifelong learning, but that's really about having curiosity. Ask questions, find out why is this happening? And I think also as a society, that's important as well, but it's asking questions not in an accusatory way necessarily but in a way of I want to understand what does it feel like for you to go through this thing what does it feel like to experience this why do you do that in that way you know why don't you do it in another way how can we make things different so just ask questions such fabulous advice Thank you so much, Leonor, for joining me today. I highly suggest that you all learn more. If you are not familiar with Montessori, head over to Montessori-group.com. Just some amazing information. I, in fact, have submitted my son, my youngest, uh, my six-year-old into, because we were all virtual this year, my hope, fingers crossed, that we will be back to school next year. And he will hopefully be at our local Montessori school. So (laughs) I am a big fan, but go and check them out. Really fabulous. I think even like you described earlier for young people, but also for parents. And I would say just adults in general, the ideas around, you know, this really is building leaders of the future. And that could be you as an adult. Maybe you just hadn't that your eyes haven't been open to that yet. So check them out. And Leonore is available on LinkedIn and also on Instagram at Montessori underscore CEO. I'm going to tell you my LinkedIn. It's um, Leonore Stiepich. So, which is my name and yes. And my Instagram, I'd love you to check out my Instagram. Be warned. It does also show pictures of my dogs. So, okay. you know, it's not all Montessori. <laughs> you know what? This is the whole point of like you as a person. That's what I love about this. We just talked about all these human aspects and it's like you sharing it is, you. It is me as a person. That's fantastic. Well, you know, I am just, I'm myself inspired by our discussion today. So thank you, please. Like, we're just so thankful for you doing this work and helping all of these children across the world. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Kelly. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.